Hi, my name is Chandler Clegg, and this is Humanized History, a podcast about adding color and vibrance back into history where it may have been lost. Now, I know that it has been a very, very long time since I've made an episode. It's been since about August 2018, and it's currently January 23rd, 2019. But I've been meaning to get back into it. I've just been busy with school. Uh, I just finished my first semester at LSU. As I stated before, I'm a history major there. Um, A lot has changed, but I'm excited to get back into it because I do love uh, teaching history through this format. Um, Just kind of a recap, I've been in the history since I was about in the third grade. I watched a show called Liberty's Kids, and I was into it ever since. Um, I just love teaching it to people because history is such a vital thing because you may not realize it, but we would really have nothing without history because it's not just about the rulers and all this other stuff. It's about the science and the art, and all of this is preserved through the medium of history so without it there's so much we wouldn't know all of the theories created by science and scientists would have been forgotten without uh that medium of history to carry them along to generations of today which is why i find it so important for people to know uh, a lot of these things about history and also the past because history does repeat itself i know you've heard that before but there are so many mistakes that people continue to make today that would not be made if they simply saw what had happened when that choice was made, you know, maybe 100, 200 years back, maybe even further back. Um, but today, uh, I want to talk about Tutmos Third, um, one of the rulers of Egypt, one of the most well-known rulers of Egypt. He's also known as the Napoleon of Egypt. So, uh, yeah, let's just jump into that. Now, Tutmos III was the son of Tutmos II, and he was also the stepson and nephew of Hatshepsut. Uh, you see, his real mother was one of Tutmos II's secondary wives named Isis, and uh, he was the only prince that held the most real and authentic claim to the throne. Um, so, uh, when Tutmos III was three years old, his father died. And he was crowned king. But, of course, you know, he was a three-year-old kid. Like, he's not going to be able to get up there on the throne and make all these important decisions about the future of Egypt. So, Hatshepsut, um, his stepmother and his aunt, was made a regent queen because, you know, as I said, Tutmos was far too young to rule at the time. And Hatshepsut is also a very, very important figure, um, someone you've... Uh, most likely heard of if you're listening to this. If not, Hatshepsut is one of the most important uh, rulers in Egyptian history and one of the most important female rulers in the history of the world, in my opinion, at least. Um, Definitely the most uh, important female ruler of Egypt. But, uh, so Hatshepsut is now regent queen Um, she's starting to dress and act as a king, uh, and she kind of has full intentions on ruling as long as she can, um, because as I said, Tutmos III is only three years old when his father dies, so she has plenty of time really to, you know, take up this mantle of ruler of Egypt and kind of just have fun with it, and she definitely does, and you can tell that, uh, you know, she really, really does a very good job at this. Um, you know, she ensures that the military is very well trained, although she does keep uh, Egypt at a time of peace. She does keep the military very well trained. Egypt is very prosperous during her reign. But 
today isn't about Hatshepsut, which I would love to do an episode on Hatshepsut. So if any of you want to hear about that, just let me know um, on my social media, uh, which I'll say at the end of the episode. But Thutmose III, he grew up at the royal court of Thebes, which was the capital of Egypt. Um, He was trained very vigorously in the arts of the body and the mind, so he would train athletically 24-7. He would train his mind 24-7. He spent much of his time in school, you know, exercising, learning about military strategy, uh, which is, uh, you know, as we know now, he very much enjoyed because he later became one of the most prominent conquerors in the history of ancient Egypt. But, uh, you know, they had to be trained very vigorously because these people are being prepared to rule over such a vast and expanding empire, um, which was, you know, Egypt at the time. But Thutmose uh, became very adept in the skills of archery, horsemanship, hand-to-hand combat, and other physical activities. Uh, You know, he grew very uh, attached to these things, and you can see that throughout you know, his life, but he was not only interested in a warlike mentality, he was very much interested in the arts. Um, He loved learning about different cultures of different peoples across the world, which is something to be admired about him, because you don't really see both of those qualities appearing in a lot of rulers, especially in ancient times. But... Uh, yeah, he was fond of music. He loved to learn about the culture and life beyond Egypt, not just in Egypt. Um, and Egypt, of course, at this point, is doing better than it really had ever been doing before. Um, you know, by the time he gets uh, sole claim to the throne, Egypt is doing amazing. But we haven't gotten there yet, so uh, let's let's keep moving on. So, as I said before, Hatshepsut had a relatively very peaceful reign, so Tutmos didn't really get to show off a lot of his battle skills. But, as I said, the military did remain active, constantly trained, but, as I said, no major wars took place. Um, The only battles really being done were to protect the borders of Egypt and to maintain them. Uh, It is also uh, quite a possibility that Hatshepsut was trying to keep power away from Tutmos as well as she could because she was supposed to just be the regent queen for him until he was able to rule but she kind of just took the power and ran with it um but Tutmos did prove himself to be a very competent uh military leader um you know he lived with the soldiers um and eventually uh he was ruling her armies but uh, he, yeah, he basically proved himself uh, to her um, through his young years um, as a teenager. Uh, and in 1458 BCE, she passed away. And Thutmose III became sole ruler of Egypt, which was kind of like a breath of fresh air for him because he finally got to step in and do what he wanted to do. Of course, there was this time of peace, but he wanted to expand and he wanted to fight these wars and be remembered for that and uh he got the perfect opportunity for this but yeah at the time of her passing she had been ruling for about 22 years but uh as i said he was given this opportunity to finally show his military prowess 
Um, and this is because Egyptian influence in Syria had declined. As uh, Tutmosis I's grandfather, he gained control of northern Syria. He penetrated the borders, and they were, you know, forced to pay tribute to Egypt after this, of course. But Tutmosis II lost much of this power once he, uh, you know, gained control of Egypt. And they had gotten to the point where the grandchildren of the people that were paying tribute to Tutmosis I we're now not paying tribute to Egypt because of the way Thutmose II handled it. And that's kind of where it had all started. But uh, when Hatshepsut died, uh, Egypt controlled uh, states in Canaan and Syria, and they rebelled. And, you know, Thutmose did not care to make treaties with them. He did not care to let them free. He saw this as a prime example to show, um, you know, as, as I said, his military prowess. And he took that chance and ran with it, just like Hatshepsut took uh, her chance at ruling and ran with it. For Tutmos, he was ready because it was time for, really, his first war. Um, and so uh, the Canaanites of Megiddo and the Syrians of Kadesh gathered their forces outside the city of Megiddo, uh, sometime in either 1458 or 1457 BCE. Um, so his forces, uh, Tutmosis' forces, marched circa 150 miles uh, within a 10-day period. And they stopped at Yehem so they could talk about how they would reach Megiddo. By them, I mean him and his advisors. When talking to his generals and advisors, they realized that there were three paths they can take. Uh, one was a narrow pass, which would require the soldiers to march in single file. And the other two were much broader uh, paths, which would be much easier and much faster for, you know, his forces to move through. So, of course, his generals were like, yeah, no, um, according to, like, some stuff we've heard, there's, like, the enemies waiting at the end of the narrow pass. And it's just going to take longer. Let's just, like, go the easy way. And uh, Tutmos disagreed, but he heard them out. But he wanted to go down the Aruna Road, which was the narrow pass. Um, and according to a scribe of his that um, accompanied him on this campaign, he stated, I swear, as Ra loves me, as my father Amun favors me, as my nostrils are rejuvenated with life and satisfaction, my majesty shall proceed upon this Aruna road. Let him of you who wishes go upon these roads of which you speak, and let him of you who wishes come in the following of my majesty. Behold, they will say these enemies whom Ra abominates has his majesty set out on another road because he has become afraid of us, so they will speak." End quote. And so his generals basically immediately bowed and were like, we love you, we love you, we agree with you, um, that's that's definitely the way to go. And uh, Tutmos is like, yeah, cool. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to lead everybody through this pass. Uh, that's cool with y'all. And they're like, yeah, no, that's cool with us. So he leads the forces through this path. So all the equipment, all the chariots, uh, everything they had that could not fit through the pass was dismantled and was carried through a uh, single file and all the horses walked single file. And um, so, yeah, they walked through this pass single file. It took a very long time. It, but once Tutmos and, you know, the first few people 
you know, at the front of the single file line, once they got out of the pass, they realized that the enemy forces expected the Egyptians to go the easy way. So it, you know, was a good idea for them to go through the pass. And he had to wait for his forces to finish going through the pass, which would take hours. So they set up camp and uh, started to rest while they were waiting for the others. Just as he had led his troops through the pass, he also uh, decided that he was going to command the attack from the lead and center, which of course, you know, builds morale. Because in any other battle, you know, you're kind of fighting for this guy who you've never seen before, you've never met him before. You know, you don't even know who this dude is. You're fighting for some unknown political uh, hidden message or, you know, whatever it is. And right here, you've got the ruler of Egypt fighting alongside you. And you tell me, can you tell me that that would not build your morale? That would not make you want to fight harder because this guy is ruler of Egypt. You know, he has everything and he's fighting alongside you. He's just like you, you know. And that, of course, you know, always builds morale. Um, Napoleon did the same thing. And that's that's maybe uh, one of the reasons why Tutmos III is called the Napoleon of Egypt. Of course, there are other reasons, but um, I definitely think that plays on to that, you know, notion as well. Um, so eventually his troops are all rested up and they see the enemy forces. And there is another quote from his scribe, and it states, Thereupon his majesty prevailed over them at the head of his army. With their faces of fear, they abandoned their horses and their chariots of gold and silver so that someone might draw them up in this town by hoisting on their garments. Now the people had shut this town against them, but they let down garments to hoist them up into this town. End quote. So basically the enemies had fled, uh, and... Tutmos and his forces, uh, Tutmos is like, hey guys, look, let them run away, let them go to their sanctuary where they're trying to hide in the city, um, instead of cutting them down as they're fleeing, um, which probably confused a lot of them, because if they would have cut them down while they were fleeing, they would have, you know, ended the battle, you know, right there, but Tutmos was kind of thinking ahead, and you'll see what I mean in a second, so Tutmos has a moat dug around Megiddo, and a wooden stockade built around the moat that they built. And no one would leave, and no one was able to leave, unless if that person was surrendering. And the siege lasted around seven, eight months, and eventually uh, the city was surrendered. Which, you know, was of course the plan all along. Um, and after uh, Tutmos, leader of Egypt, been sieging this city for seven, eight months, you know, any ruler, as they would, they would go in and they would kill all the leaders and they would sack the city. But not Tutmos. The city was left untouched and the leaders were not executed as long as they promised not to rebel again. How crazy is that? This is ancient history, okay? This is, this is in the 1000s BCE, okay? These are the times when the uh you know the assyrians i mean think about the assyrians they would skin people alive for rebelling there there were so many torture methods used back then to torture and execute um people that rebelled against a nation but tutmos was kind of thinking ahead 
not kind of, he definitely was, okay? Because he had the children of the nobles uh, in Megiddo kidnapped. Not really kidnapped, they were just taken and brought back to Egypt. And they weren't, you know, mistreated. These children were taught and raised up the way that uh, any child of Egyptian nobility would be. So they were taught in the ways of Egypt, the culture of Egypt, um, all that kind of stuff. And eventually, they were sent back to their homes. And that way, when they went back to their homes, they would kind of be indoctrinated by uh, this Egyptian way of life, and they would be more likely to continue to support Egypt and to continue to send this tribute. Because if you were to go in and slaughter everyone, you know, of course there are going to be grudges that are going to be held against Egypt. You know, people are going to have somewhat of a hatred for Egypt. But no, they almost had to feel grateful because no one was executed. Um, the city wasn't sacked. The children, you know, were taken, but they were returned. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it really, really helped out Tutmos. And this also helped build a reputation for him um, of military prowess, which he had already held, but this uh, notoriety, this reputation, he slowly began to create that was now spreading outside of Egypt, not just inside of Egypt. But uh, new officials were appointed, um, but the children were still taken to ensure that another rebellion didn't happen, as I said, and to also kind of embed into that society that Egypt, you know, is great. So um, they also got a good bit of loot, which uh, consisted of prisoners of war, slaves, hostages, uh, weapons, armor, uh, gold and silver chariots, um, jewels, uh, you know, gold, silver, and uh, all sorts of livestock. Um, and Megiddo, by the way, was written about thoroughly. Uh, but most of his other victories in battle and wars were written about in terms of loot gained and not victory. But uh, this story of Megiddo was written about thoroughly. Now, I apologize in advance. I'm probably going to butcher this name because I scoured the internet, but I cannot find a pronunciation for this name. But the narrative was written by uh, his battle scribe at the time, uh, Tajani, or Tajani, uh, T-J-A-N-I or T-J-A-N-E-I, um, and of course I was a scribe, and Tutmos was so impressed by this writing, because it, it just screamed propaganda, uh, and so he had it inscribed on the walls of temples, and all throughout Egypt, um, and, you know, it just made him look really good, so of course, you know, any reasonable ruler would have that put everywhere, um, many rulers have done that throughout history, this is also seen a lot in Rome, um, but yeah, this is ancient Egypt way before Rome. Um, as I said, this is the 15th century BCE, which, you know, the Roman Empire isn't for a very long time after this. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a very common thing that is seen throughout history. Um... But after this victory at Megiddo, 
uh, he continues on uh, with his military conquests. He uses Megiddo as a place to launch his campaign into Kadesh, which, you know, he then next uh, takes right after he takes Megiddo. But um, as I said, uh, most of his military campaigns after this aren't really talked about uh, in detail. They're just talked about in terms of loot, so the battles themselves aren't really described, and what happened isn't necessarily described because, you know, the point of that scribe being there was mainly to just find out what they were getting out of it and not really to preserve the history of it, I presume. But Tutmos also took control of Mitanni. Um, also in the south, he redefined his southern border um, and dominated Nubia, uh, Kyrgyz, Napata, and Mount Barkal um, is where he built a temple to Amon. Um, he continued to suppress Nubian tribes, and he hired many of them in these gold mines that he had uh, down there in Nubia, which, from his reign, that's how he gained most of his wealth for Egypt. Um, also, through all the uh, tributes he had been getting from all of these other kingdoms uh, that he had gained control over. And... Um, yeah, I mean, all of these places that he had taken over were pouring into the treasury. Um, and, you know, metal ores, cattle, grain. Um, he was getting tributes from uh, Crete, Cyprus, Babylonia, Assyria, and the Hittites. Um, some of these were gifts, some of these were tributes, but all in all, he was gaining vast amounts of wealth from them. But during his rule, he led 17 successful military campaigns within a 20-year period. Um, but as I said before, he also loved the arts and commissioned upwards of 50 temples, lots of tombs, monuments, uh, and much more. Um, also, glassmaking and statues were improved greatly under his rule. Now, throughout history, you see statues of historical figures, and they seem to be very inaccurate. Um, you know, even if we don't have pictures of these people, based on their descriptions uh, and writings, you can tell that these are, you know, pretty inaccurate. Like the Augustus of Prima Porta, um, you know, uh, there are, you know, other statues. There's just one of George Washington shirtless, but um, I'm fairly certain it's at the Smithsonian in D.C., and it portrays him like bare-chested uh, with a toga, I believe, and I read uh, in this one book that when it was released, uh, viewers were like horrified. Um, but besides that, uh, Tutmos in his statuary is depicted as a tall, handsome man, and uh, he's in excellent physical condition. And actually, this is believed to be realistic of him. Uh because depictions are all uniform, uh, all of his depictions are uniform, they're all very similar, and many depictions of Egyptian rulers are, how do I put this, um, they are unflattering, uh, so that that's most Egyptian rulers, they're pictured as, you know, unflattering, and then here you have him, and he's in good physical condition, he's a tall, handsome man, which uh, seems to be up to 
um, how he was written about, um, and if he really did train as much as he did, um, you know, this, this is very believable. Um, but, you know, that's kind of besides the point, not super important. Uh, but uh, there is another important thing that we need to step into is this um, revolves around Hitchepsu, who has been dead for a while now, but it is about her defacement um, after her death and her, uh, you know, being erased from history in a sense. Now, before I step into this, uh, many believe that Amenhotep II, his son, actually did this and that Tummos had no part in it, which makes sense, but also there are people that believe Tutmos did it. Uh, but right now I'm going to talk about it from a perspective of Tutmos doing it just because I can find, uh, you know, more uh, evidence and facts about that at the time being. Um, I think it's more of an interesting portrayal. Um, but uh, by all means, if you are interested in looking into Amenhotep II and if whether or not he uh, defaced Hatshepsut's legacy, then by all means, go ahead and do that. Uh, I'm by no means a professional. Um, I just love learning about history and I like sharing it with other people. But uh, eventually, as believed, he began to deface his stepmother's monuments in an attempt to kind of condemn her to non-existence. Um, you can look at it as a way of, oh, you know, she took his reign from him, but that really uh, doesn't seem to be it because he left uh, a lot of remnants of her existence. He just kept it out of the public eye. But uh, condemning someone to this non-existence uh, kind of messes with the afterlife. Uh, you know, it's, it's very serious. Only people who committed horrific acts would get this sort of treatment. Uh, and she was not involved in anything like this. Um, but it is believed that uh, this wasn't done in ill will. It was believed that he did this for traditional reasons uh, with following Ma'at. Which, if you are, you know not taken care of after your death and if you're forgotten about um you really can't make it to the field of reeds which is the afterlife in ancient egypt and to get there you have to follow ma'at in your you know uh human life and also that is what this concerns because ma'at is about following uh the traditional egyptian path and she didn't follow that traditional egyptian path because the traditional Egyptian path was for a man to rule Egypt. Um, you know, sexist, yeah, but that's just how things were in the ancient world. Um, but uh, this is believed uh, because supposedly, the, uh, the according to myth, um, the very first king of Egypt was Osiris. I say that, you know, with um, uh, asterisks. But, uh, he was murdered by his brother Set, uh, and then brought back to life by his sister slash wife Isis. I know it's strange, but um, and finally his son Horus defeated Set and reclaimed uh, power and reestablished uh, Egyptian rule. 
and you know all the kings associated themselves with Horus and they're like yeah that's me and they were believed to uh, all be reincarnations of Horus um, so Horus and a human body ruling over Egypt now in the eyes of the Egyptians you know uh, women don't really have a place in that story and they're like well a man has to be ruler because you know Horus right and so uh, that's kind of how it was so Tutmos was like look we're just gonna have to erase Hatshepsut from history because we can't have women thinking they are going to rule Egypt I know it's really messed up but he didn't want them to have like a role model to look up to where they could be like oh well maybe I'll rule Egypt one day and he's like no we're just gonna erase you from history no offense to you uh, you know you were a good stepmom and stuff um, I'm not going to get rid of you completely, obviously, because we would, you know, not know anything about her today. Uh, obviously, he cared for her. And then when he died, his tomb was, uh, I mean, he had a temple built uh, right next to hers, and uh, he was buried near her in the Valley of Kings. But uh, the final decade of his reign was uh, spent building a new temple, uh, and this was happening while Hatshepsut was being erased. And eventually, she's erased from the public view. And Amenhotep II was the son of his second wife and was appointed to rule after his death. And he was eventually uh, laid to rest in the Valley of Kings when he died in 1425 BCE. Uh, he was buried in this mortuary temple besides his stepmother. Um, and yeah, that is the end of Tutmos III. Um, and then, you know, of course, after him and Minotep II rules, um, and Egyptian history carries on. But Tutmos III is such an important figure because he essentially built the Egyptian empire. He created it. Uh, as you can see, that's, that's, you know, why he's called the Napoleon of Egypt. He's the conqueror king, you know. Um, but yeah. Uh, I find Tutmos III a very interesting figure to study and to learn about. That's why I made this episode on him. Um, I hope you guys learned something interesting. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you would like to know more about Egypt, if you'd like to know more about ancient history or any other kind of history, just let me know. My social media is on Instagram. It's at ChanChanTheHistoryMan. Um, you can DM me on there or on Twitter at ChandlerClegg, C-L-E-G-G. Uh, it, or if you have any inquiries and you want to ask me through email, you can email me at humanizedhistory at gmail.com. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I appreciate the support. Uh, if you guys could give a review, um, an honest review, maybe something I can improve upon, maybe something you enjoyed about it, I would just love to continue making this series. And uh, I love ancient history, but I'm willing to do any kind of history that you guys want to hear about. So thank you so much for uh, giving me a listen, and you guys have a good morning, day, or night.